0: mark 8 verse 35 to verse 37 he uh, says for whoever would save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul for what can a man give in return for his soul in recent years, uh, opinion polls have found that the majority of the British public believe that foreign immigrants are not integrating very well into British society. And this issue particularly came to the fore during the Brexit discussion. There is consensus, of course, that many, uh, the population, immigrant population continues to rise in this country. That's not a problem for many people. The problem is, of course, integration. Many people believe that despite these rising numbers of migrants here, the government has not been helping ethnic minorities to fit in and properly integrate into life in the UK. That's the problem. Now, of course, the government's response to this issue is very simple. They have introduced all sorts of tests to support integration. Uh, If you want to come here to the UK or you want to become naturalized, there are some tests you have to pass. For example, if you are applying to come to the UK, uh, you must show that you can speak English. Okay, it's the basic. You can't come to the UK if you can't speak English. Apparently we don't want to teach anyone English. They have to come with English. And if you want to remain permanently in the UK, you must prove that you know all about British life. You must take something called life in the UK test. I have to say I took that and I passed it to my shock. They asked me to take it while I was a civil servant. To my shock, was what shocked me most. Of course, is that when I had a chat with colleagues at work, they couldn't answer the questions, and they were British already, of course. So the government does these things, uh, all good things, I think. But the problem is that to many people, it seems that these tests actually do not lead to meaningful social integration. That's the problem. In a fallen world, no matter how many tests people pass, people in a fallen world always want to be with those who look like them. That's a fact. That's life in a fallen world. And it doesn't surprise us as Christians that when people come to the UK or become British, many withdraw to live in their own communities. That's life. That's life in the fallen world. And they may live physically, in the UK and have British passports but they do not feel the need to live in the UK fully in practice uh, to take part in the full life of the UK. Many migrants, of course, live in their own communities. We, have all, we know this very well. Well, we are currently studying Mark 8, verse 34 verse 38 and in this passage Jesus is laying down what it means to be his follower what it means to live life in the kingdom of God Jesus is speaking to a group of people who like us here this evening want to have citizenship wants to belong to the kingdom of heaven or would claim we belong to the kingdom of heaven we to be with Jesus And Jesus' message to them and us is very simple. Following Jesus is not like becoming a British citizen. You cannot get away with doing it in name only. You may do that by becoming British. But true change in the kingdom of God involves belonging to the kingdom. To borrow a British phrase, you cannot ride two horses. You, can't be on a, you cannot be riding on a worldly horse and on a Jesus horse. You must choose. To belong to Jesus is to live for Jesus. You cannot publicly claim you follow Jesus and yet you are living for the world. It's one or the other. For whoever, Jesus says in verse 35, would will, will save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's. We, serve we have this choice, life for ourselves, life for the world. Oh, the kingdom of Christ. And we need to get this point. We need to repeat this point many times because, you see, the world is saying to us the opposite. And you have had many sermons that tell you, you can have it all. You'll be reading stuff on YouTube. Well, watching stuff on YouTube. Let me just be up to date. Oh, uh, We're telling you, you can have it all. God is working to give you the best life now. And the truth of the matter is that even as who are followers of who are true followers of Jesus, we feel somehow like we need to have all this other stuff to have meaning and purpose in life rather than a simple, pure devotion to Christ. That's why we need to be reminded of this issue. You can't have Jesus and the world. That's what Jesus is saying in these verses, verse 35 to verse 37. And I just want to summarize this truth in two points uh, that are in front of your outline on why, which explain to us why we cannot write to horses. Uh, It has to be the world or Jesus. The first truth uh, this passage tells us is that the world is a life taker. The world takes the life of everyone who surrenders to it or who lives for it. That's what Jesus is saying in these verses. And it's actually right in the middle of that, in verse 36. In this verse, Jesus poses the most famous question ever. Even non-believers, I'm sure, know about this question. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? And the first thing we have to do when we read that is to ask, what does this mean by the world? The word, the literal meaning for the word here, means the universe or everything in creation. And immediately when you think about that, when we hear the question, we realize it is a rhetorical question. And it is a rhetorical question Jesus is asking, right? We are not supposed to answer the risk profit. No, we are meant to see the foolishness, actually, first of all, of living like that. What does it profit a man to gain the entire universe? and forfeit is so. We should see the foolishness, isn't it, of living like that. Why? Because it is impossible. It is impossible. We can never gain the whole world. We can never have the entire universe. Why? Well, we might pretend we're Thanos or something and try and grab it. But we can't. Because in reality, whether we're like Sauron in the Lord of the Rings or Thanos in Avengers... The truth of the matter is that we can't really gain the world because the world belongs to God. To even try to gain the world is nothing short of trying to overthrow God himself. It is the height of foolishness. But that does not stop us from trying, isn't it? Now I'm not saying that you wake up every morning saying to yourself like Hitler, I must conquer and rule the world. That's Hitler's drive That was Hitler's drive, wasn't it? By all of us, there is this inner impulse within our fallen nature that is constantly driving us to gain as much of this world as you can. And if you look at your life very carefully, it becomes obvious that your priorities in life are around having as much as you can. Indeed, the entire economic system is based on that. This is how hard are put to you. You can be this, you can be that. This is how when you go for a job, interview is put to you. You can have this at work, you can have that. The whole world is programmed to sell it to you that possess, possess, possess as much as you can. And many of you are sitting here, you are living to have as much of this life as you can. More possessions, more power, more pleasure, more recognition by your peers, and many other things. It might even be more leisure time. And you believe that the more you have these things, the more you will be fulfilled in life. Now, you may have Jesus on the back of your mind, but the truth of the message is that fundamentally the way you live shows that you are living for these things. You believe if I only had this thing, I'll be more happy. And we can bring that in the family level, isn't it? If only my husband behaved a little bit, all my life will be better. <laughs> If only my boss was a bit nice to me, I would have that. And so you gear yourself to just having the right job. That fulfills you. E.W.A. Toza says this, There is within us this root of fallen life whose nature is to possess, always to possess. It covets things with a deep and fierce passion. He says all of us are like that. All of us. People in church, outside church. But Jesus, our Lord Jesus, is saying that living like that is foolishness. But it's more than foolishness. It is suicidal. It's spiritual suicide. Trying to gain the whole world does not enrich your life. It actually murders you spiritually. Look at verse 36 again. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? We must ask then, what does Jesus mean by the word "so"? Uh, the, the word "so" there literally means your very life, or the deepest and truest part of you. Uh, Jesus is saying that surrendering to the world is forfeiting your life; it's poisoning your life; it is murdering your life; it's killing your very life. Jesus is not saying that by getting the world you cease to exist. He's saying you are poisoning the very thing you are trying to satisfy. This is a tragedy of human existence. We want fulfillment, but by pursuing fulfillment, we are killing ourselves, Jesus says. In what way are we killing ourselves? Well, first of all, you are damaging the quality of your life right now. Anyone in the world who is living for the things of this world, they are damaging themselves now. You see, trying to live for this world always costs you something. You may have seen the film Limitless, right? Right? Uh, Bradley Cooper there plays a writer who gets access to a pill that exponentially expands his intellect. And in the movie Overnight he is a genius at everything he turns his mind to. I wish I was like that when I was at uni. He thinks, you know, at such rapid fire, like I'm sure i will pass every assignment, right? It seems almost like magic. Yet soon he learns that this near infinite knowledge he has does not necessarily cure life's problems. In fact, we see in the movie that with this dramatic increase in intelligence comes great pain to him. Which is rather than being a key to happiness, the whole point of the movie is that these new capacities actually, these new mental abilities he has becomes crippling. They're a burden. They bring him pain. The film actually, and many others like it, like one of my films I like, Transcendence, um, make the same point, a lot of these films. Even the popular Netflix series Black Mirror are all making the same points. They are saying to us, actually interesting enough, But these are done by secular people, but they are saying to us that grabbing the world, whether it is technology in, in Black Mirror, right, or firm in the case of limitless, or money, money or other things in the case of transcendence or power, Never satisfies. They are saying to us, the things we are pursuing ultimately destroys us in some way. The things we often pursue, the things you are pursuing, that very thing you are very focused on getting is killing you at the moment. That's what society is telling us. And it is true, therefore, because it accords with what Jesus is saying here. And deep down, we know this: that trying to grab the world kills us, destroys us. We know that. How do we know that? Because all of us here are children of Adam and Eve. The reason why the world is able to make movies that make that point is because there is buried within them the memory of the fall in Eden. They can remember Adam and Eve buried deep within them. And you remember what happened to Adam and Eve, don't you? Sin entered the world because Adam and Eve were not satisfied living for God. They wanted the world more. They tried to grab as much as they can get their hands on rather than living for God. And it killed them eventually physically, of course spiritually. And we are reaping the consequences. And Jesus is saying to us here that living for the world, beloved, destroys us now. It for, we are forfeiting our lives now. But it's not just now. It also destroys us beyond the grave. And this is the biggest loss we face. Look again at verse 37. This sober question in verse 37. For what can a man give in return for his soul? This question Jesus is asking is imagining a situation in which you have gained the whole world. You have lived for everything. You've had that job you always wanted. You have had that family you always longed for. You have had the firm, the reputation, the church that brings so much happiness in your life. You've gained it all, but you've ended up in hell. You've gained the world, but you've ended up in hell. You have lost your soul. Not annihilation you are being tormented in where you are because the servant that servant implies that this man who has lost his soul is actually alive he's able to pose this question They exist in some way, some human beings beyond the grave, but in torment. And Jesus says, in that state of torment, you will wish to have your life back. But it will be too late. You pose this question, what can a man give in return for his soul? You try and give everything you have on you back. But you won't be able to buy your soul back out of hell. That's what Jesus is saying. That is the sobering truth of this question. What can a man give in return for his soul? Nothing. Because once you are in hell, you have nothing. Once you are being tormented in hell, you can't climb out. Once living for the world condemns your soul to everlasting punishment, there is no escape. There is nothing you do to change your condition. The reason living for the world will lead to everlasting punishment for all who live for the world is that God created you to find ultimate fulfillment in him alone. And therefore to run after anything, even good things and putting them first, family, other things, living for all of these things which may be good and neutral in themselves but putting them first ahead of God and pursuing them. You are worshipping the creator the creature, rather than the creator. It's called idolatry. And the Bible says idolaters will be destroyed in hell. Revelation 22, verse 14 to 15 says this, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and they may enter the seat by the gates, by Jesus himself. But outside, in everlasting torment, are the dogs and sorcerers. And we don't know it and say, yeah, we agree with them. And the sexually immoral, yeah, we can see the reason for them. And the murderers, of course, we want the murderers there. But then he has, and idolaters, those who put creation ahead of the creator, and everyone who loves and practices (coughs) falsehood. Living for the world is sending ourselves everlasting punishment. The other reason why well, living for the world sends us everlasting punishment is because many of the things we, you pursue in this world are sinful in and of themselves. It's that simple. As the Apostle John reminds us in 1 John chapter 2 verse 15 to 17, he says this, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Why? For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the, 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 the desires of the eyes and the pride in possession, is not from the Father but from the world. Why is that a big deal? Verse 17 And the world is passing away with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. You see, from the youngest age, trying to possess everything, defines everything all of us here do and say. We fight over toys. We want to have, as I like to say, the last bowl of cereal in the house. We want to be the first in the classroom. We want to be the prettiest girl in the school. We want to achieve that wonderful promotion. We want the job that everybody will look at and say, yeah, he's made it. We want to live in the best house. We, we don't want to live somewhere cramped up. We want to have the best house. We want our bank accounts to be very full without worry. We want everyone's attention. We want, when we walk in, everybody to notice us. We want to be the best. We want to be the most powerful. We want to be the best known. We want to be the best loved. This is, these are our natural impulses. This is who we are, beloved. We want, we want, we want everything the world can give us for us. Jesus is saying this impulse is killing you. It is killing you now and it is sending you to hell. Jesus is saying if this impulse is at the heart of how you live, is mattering And you must realize that before it is too late. The world is a life taker. That's the first point. The world is a life taker. That's what Jesus wants us to think about here. The second thing Jesus wants us to see here is that Jesus, only Jesus, is a life giver. That's the good news of the gospel. Jesus is a life giver. All human beings, as I've said, surrender to the world because we believe the world will give us the life we yearn for. But Jesus says life comes from him. Let's back up a little bit. Verse 35, let's read that. For whoever would save his life we will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. Jesus is saying only by losing ourselves in him are we able to find our true self. This is a paradox of Christian living. It is by losing yourself that you find yourself in Christ. It is only by surrendering to Jesus that we have freedom. It is only by dying to ourselves that we have life. It is only by surrendering to him that you become truly satisfied. But why does surrendering to Jesus give us life? Well, what does it fulfill us? What, what are the claims here? Why, why, why if, do, would I be fulfilled if I surrendered to Jesus? Well, the answer is in verse 35 again, isn't it? Did you see that? For whoever will save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake... And the Gospels will serve it. What is the Gospel? The good news. What is the good news? The good news is that Jesus is God coming to reign, as we were reminded this morning. Jesus is coming to reign. How is he coming to reign? He's coming to reign by ushering in his kingdom. How is he ushering in his kingdom? Through his death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension, and reigning, and second coming forevermore to reign mark chapter 10 verse 45 says this for even the son of man came not to be served but to serve to give his life as a ransom for many in other words the kingdom of god is being ushered in by jesus purchasing us from sin for god you see you can only have life the life you're searching in the world is only found in jesus and you can only have it by jesus Restoring you to God himself. God in Christ gives us new life by dealing with that sin, that virus that cuts us off. Jesus is God's answer to your problem of sin. And if we trust in Jesus and this good news of dying on the cross for our sins, we can have life with God forever. But here's a key point here, beloved. In order to genuinely have life with Jesus, you must truly surrender to him. And only those who have life with Jesus live gone in surrendering to Jesus. In other words, the proof that you have surrendered to Jesus, of course, in this passage, is that you let go of the world. This morning we said the proof of you surrendering is that you have died to yourself. Jesus is taking a a step further, he's going beyond yourself now, he's saying actually the proof that you have surrendered to me is that you let go of the world. You let go of everything around you now, not just yourself but everything around. You must turn your back on the world. Now it's important we understand that letting go of the world does not give us life. It is the fruit that we have life with God. Okay? Letting go of the world does not give us life. We let go of the world because Jesus' life has come into us. So there's an initial commitment to Jesus, of course, as I get that picture of marriage. But by and large, the fact that we're even able to let go of the world is because the Spirit of God is working in us already, is regenerating us. We've now become His children. And therefore, we now have new affections to live for Christ. Our citizenship is now in heaven. Do you remember the story of Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus is an example of someone who the Lord called out, served. And immediately Zacchaeus let go of the world, didn't he? A third of my possession, what did he have? He gave it all away. He let go of the world. So of Tarsus, God calls him out. What happened to So of Tarsus? He lets go of the world. Great career in Pharisee, far, far, as a Pharisee. All oh, his stuff. He says, "I count all of that garbage." He says, "He counted it all garbage." Beloved, this is what the gospel means for us. Those who are truly converted let go of the world, pursuing. Now letting go of the world is painful, isn't it? It is costly. It is costly for what has happened in our hearts to become reflected in how we live. It's it's very, very painful. The, 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 getting to know, follow Jesus, this task, this growth in discipleship when we're truly believers, it will always cost us. And the cost is that we are, it costs us the world. Even the good things of the world. We give up the world. This morning we saw the cost is dying to ourselves. Now the cost is the world around us. It's painful, it's costly to put Jesus first. And Jesus, therefore, is confronting all of us here with a huge question. And we can go through many areas of your life where where some of the things you you would have to give up, you would end up giving up when you truly surrender to Jesus. But Jesus is confronting here with the question, isn't he? Are you poisoning your life by holding on to this world are you tr- or are you truly living for me? That's the question. So the first question, first of all, is are you genuinely converted? And the question is, this is the question these tests this are asking again and again. Are you a true follower? You heard that question this morning and you're probably sick of hearing it now. But the question is here. Yeah. Are you in case you missed it in the morning, I guess. That's why Jesus keeps, repeats it four times here. He's saying, are you for me or the world? I've been thinking about that. How can I answer that question properly? I thought about that. If, I just, if somebody just asks me, are you for Jesus or for the world? And I think I'm going to answer, yes, of course, I'm for Jesus. But I don't, so I don't think that question even gets to the heart of the issue here. I thought about asking this question a bit different. I think the best way to ask this question is this. What are you afraid of losing in this life? What are you most afraid of, of losing in this life? When you find the answer to that question, is what you are living for. That's the God you worship. Is it your spouse? Husbands say uh, definitely not, <laughs> right? Is it your children? Is it your house? What would turn your world truly upside down? What are you most afraid of? Is it your house? Is it your health? Is it your job? Is it your church? Is it your car? Is it the respect of your coworkers, or or is it your intimacy with Jesus? If your fear of losing intimacy with Jesus is at the bottom of that list, it didn't even crop up anywhere in your mind, then clearly there's something wrong with your heart. I just want to encourage those of you here that are here in these sermons and you are perhaps devastated in some sense, and you're worried for your position in Christ, I would say you are in a very good, you are not far from the kingdom, is what I would say. Because to even worry about Jesus and actually be concerned, you know, I have people come to me saying, oh, you know, I'm doubting my assurance." I'm saying, you are not far from the kingdom, beloved. Because if you're looking at the scripture and you want to be a true disciple, I worry about those that, that, that hear these sermons and it bores them. I worry about those who are not stirred by these truths because they've heard them so many times. If you are worrying about your assurance, I'm encouraged by that. And I would point you to the word of God here. Because you see friends, if in that question, what are you afraid of most losing in your life? For you, what that you are afraid of? You're afraid that you may lose God himself. Well, I think that what that tells me is that you, 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 you are a follower of Jesus. And you need to be encouraged. You want to live for him. And your sin troubles you. And you should be encouraged by that. I'm worried about those who would never mention God on that list. He's somewhere at the bottom. Because their life is so made with God, they are not troubled by that. You see, if your fear of losing intimacy with Jesus is at the bottom, then clearly if there's something wrong in your heart. Right. You are not a true follower, most likely, I have to say. If Jesus, because it shows to me that Jesus is not your greatest treasure. If you wake up in the morning and your sin doesn't trouble you whether you are stuck. If you are not examining yourself and asking, am I standing in the faith? Then clearly Jesus is not your greatest treasure. And if Jesus is not what gets you up in the morning and keeps you going in the day and you can just get on with life, then you have to be honest, you are living for other things. It is very likely that if we watch the video of your life and listen to what you said and why you said it, would not notice Jesus in your life at all. If you watched how you made decisions and you related to others, the factors you consider before you purchase a house, the factor you consider before you take a new job, if you watched all of that, we would notice that consideration for Jesus and his work is not top of your list. We would see that Jesus is bottom. If we saw how you invested your free time if we saw you in busy and quiet moments and listened to your silent conversations with yourself, it would show, I'm sure, that Jesus is not the center of your life. Your love, your motivations, your goals in life, uh, your greatest hope are worldly. You are riding, trying to ride two horses. A bit like the leader of a certain party who has been accused of trying to do just that over Brexit. The tragedy is that we are like that leader, many of us who, are be, who claim to be believers. The tragedy is that those who profess to be Christians have priorities and goals in life that are no different from the unbelievers around them. They could have professed Jesus for many years, but you look at, if you didn't know they attended a church and you just observed their life silently, and you blanked out the church attendance, their priority will be no different from the unregenerate. Are these people converted? The answer, of course, is no. The reason for that surely is not because the Holy Spirit has stopped in the lives of these people. The answer is that these people, though they attend church, are truly not disciples of Christ. You know, C.S. Lewis said, once said, if we consider the staggering rewards promised in the Bible, That's what C.S. Lewis said. If we consider the staggering rewards promised in the Bible, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures. C.S. Lewis says, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making magpies, he said, in a slam, because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. Great quote, I think the point we should have seen is that the person who is too easily satisfied by new outfits, new homes, new cars, new businesses, new holidays, new promotion, is surely has mindset set on earthly things, and therefore cannot truly be regenerated. Every musician knows that it is hard to enjoy playing with another musician who fails to stick to the same key and rhythm. Every musician knows that. And the same is true of life in general. Isn't it? You cannot say you are living with God when you are playing in the wrong key with Jesus. True followers of Jesus follow Jesus alone. They follow his move and they match along. I mean, they can tell I'm not a pianist, isn't it? Or or a musician. But you get my idea. They find lasting happiness in following Jesus. Not beloved in pursuing the world. So this evening we must all examine ourselves again. Am I living for Jesus? This is what these passages, hard passages, I'd imagine. But the Lord, by his providence, is having us go through this. Because he wants to pose this question three times in, in in the sermon. In these three sermons. Are you living for me? And if you are not living for Christ. Then come to God now in repentance. Turn to him. If you you know that you have committed to Christ before. But you look at your life. Actually I am not living for you. Then forget about the past now. Surrender to him now. Live for him. Look forward. Don't look back. Look forward. Tell him to refresh you. Don't, don't worry what people around you are thinking. Okay? Don't take this someone personal. Take it up with the Lord, right? But look, for, for, forget about the past. Look forward. Live for him. If we have made a community to follow Jesus but have become distracted, let us confess our sins. God is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let us live for him. And as we noted this morning, when we looked at verse 34, living for Jesus rather than the world will inevitably lead to suffering in our lives. Some of you have strained family relationships because of your love for Jesus. Some of you are not getting a lot of support from your spouses. Because frankly, where your spouses are at is not where they should be biblically. And that can create problems in marriage. That's very hard. It's very painful. Living for Jesus has led to some of you to give up jobs because you find just you cannot function as a Christian and hold on to that job. For whatever reason, maybe ethically, or you just can't fit your life. You can't function as a believer. And you've asked yourself, heaven, job. Heaven, job. And you've decided to die to yourself in that way and asking God to lead you better. Living for Jesus has led some of you to cut off some relationships that are not helpful because you do not want to entangle yourself in sin. Jesus comes first. And some of you, of course, are not as rich as you can get, isn't it? Because you are always giving and giving and giving. If you saved all your money and gave it to, to the advancement of God's kingdom, you would probably have had 50 houses. But you've decided it's important not only to give whatever tithe percentage they give, but you want to go beyond that. You are living. You're not asking God how much tithe have you set, whatever you believe around that. But what you're asking is what much? How much little can I live on? And I want to give the rest to the kingdom. And that means, of course, you are poor. It means that you can't afford to live in your own home. You. It means. Well, it means you probably you don't even own a home. you are very little to your your name. Why? Because you love Jesus. So you're investing in his kingdom. That's painful, isn't it? It's painful even for those that are living sacrificially like that. Like the Romans Christians who Mark is writing to, in your own way you are turning your back on the world. And you're suffering for it. They were suffering for it. That's why, that's why Mark is writing this to encourage them. He, he, he's, he's giving them the words of Jesus because they are being turned over to the wolves. They're, they're being turned over to the lions or whatever it is Nero has come up with and he's saying, no, that is the gospel. It's not by accident. This is how a disciple looks like. You are laying down your life. This is how the Christian life is. That's the comfort he's giving them. And some of you are in that situation, suffering for him. Is that you, beloved? Well, as we come to an end, let the words of Jesus in verse 35 encourage you. For whoever will save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. Your suffering for Jesus is not pointless. You are holding on to Jesus in difficult situation because you are alive, beloved. You are alive. You truly belong to him. So press on. Keep looking to Jesus who has suffered for you. Keep persevering in your work with him. And do not be content just to be a Christian the way you are now. Ask God to help you to sacrifice more and more. Where can I live radically for you? Where where can I live in such a way that only you can bring it about? Offer up your suffering to him let him help you do what you cannot do in your own strength by suffering because you are faithful for jesus you are sharing in the fellowship of his suffering you're becoming like jesus in his death and the same power of jesus that enabled him to triumph in weakness through the cross is at work in those who believe in him so be confident Uh, be of good cheer have courage. Ask the Lord to draw on his power. He's standing there in heaven right now like he stood for Stephen. His eye is on you. So when you feel tempted to let this world poison your soul, keep following Jesus and he will keep you firm to the end. There is truly no one more glorious than Christ, is there? No one more loving. No one more beautiful than Jesus. And one day we shall see him face to face. This is our motivation. To see him face to face. To live with him forever. Your life, if you are in Christ, is safe in his hands. And because it is safe in his hands, we can give him our whole life every day. And we can run away from the temptation to live for this world.